Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 48 of the Physician Assistant Exam Review Podcast. This week we're going to continue with dermatology, covering some small vascular abnormalities and some bullous issues, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and get started. My name is Brian Wallace. I'm the host and creator here at Physician Assistant Exam Review. You can find all of the notes, all of the other information over on the website at www.physicianassistantexamreview.com. I strongly encourage you, as always, to go ahead and sign up for the email list where I send out tips, tricks, strategies, all sorts of great stuff for test taking and improving your overall scores and your abilities as you progress through your uh, journey here trying to learn all this stuff and pass your exams. Um, That's all on the email list. Also, last week I did a huge giveaway of a $900 package of study materials, all the stuff that I used for my exam, which was included the, uh, what's now the Rutgers review program, which is a great program. Um, my book, uh, a couple other resources I have, and and a few other things I threw in that I used to study for my pan re back just, just in December, 2018. So real recently. And I did that just for email subscribers. I do a lot of things through that email system that don't get uh, that I just can't do in the same fashion on the podcast. So I strongly recommend if you have any interest in the way that I cover things and the way that I teach things and the way that I do things to head on over to the website and definitely go sign up for that. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And, you know, if it stinks, then go ahead and unsubscribe. There's a button at the bottom of every single email. So that's really easy. All right. So today we're going to pick up with dermatology. We've been moving slowly through derm. This week is going to be no different. We're going to, uh, so let's just get started with a couple of our priming questions. Name for a fluid-filled blister that is less than 10 millimeters in size. What's a fluid-filled blister that's less than 10 millimeters in size? How about a fluid-filled blister that's greater than 10 millimeters in size? Fluid-filled blister greater than 10 millimeters in size. See if we remember this one. We've covered it also. What's the Nikolsky's sign? What is Nikolsky's sign? And then lastly, just for fun, because we did it last week, Stevens-Johnson syndrome affects what percentage of the skin's surface? Stevens-Johnson syndrome affects what percentage of the skin's surface? As always, we'll cover the answers to, actually, not all of those. The Stevens-Johnson one we won't hit on, uh, but I'll review it for you at the end. But I want you to take a minute and think about those and see if you can come up with it without any prompting. All right, vascular abnormalities of the skin. This is pretty straightforward, pretty simple stuff we're going to cover today. Telangiectasias is the first one. I recommend for everyone that we cover today, a lot through derm, through everything really, but through derm in particular, you to take some time to look at the images. It's really easy at this point um, to just Google or look up images of any single topic you can find, and it'll make it stick in your head so much better than any description I could give you and anything you would read in a textbook. So certainly take some time and review images as you study these materials. It will just make them sink in so much quicker, so much easier, and keep them separate in your head. I'm trying to work on some ideas for putting together notes that just have things in different colors or different uh, images or different shapes just to help you uh, make them stand out from each other. We cover so much material, and it's all just in this broad outline form, and it's just line after line after line, 
and it all just tends to run together. So I think those images are extremely helpful and they're so ubiquitous now. You can find them everywhere. You don't have to go to the library and check out a book on dermatology. I don't even know if uh, you, you would ever have had to do that in your lifetime. Um, it's so easy now. So just make sure you look them up as you go through this stuff. All right, telentictasias. These are dilated, tiny blood vessels of the skin, which look kind of weird, but are usually a non-issue. Um, they're little, tiny, fine, red, uh, almost like little spidery. Um, they, they overlap with, with, with spider veins. I don't know that they are directly related, but they're really fine, tiny blood vessels that get dilated. Um, there can be a bunch of causes. There can be no causes. Some of the causes you should be aware of are Cushing syndrome, systemic scleroderma, venous hypertension, trauma, acne rosacea, blepharitis, and that list can go on and on and on. And whether or not the telangiectasias mean anything, they may or they may not. So they're not a great sign on their own, but they can help confirm some of these things. Like for systemic scleroderma, you'll remember that you have the uh, CREST acronym where telangiectasias are part of that. So it, it can be part of something, but it's not going to be a clue unto itself, uh, I don't think, for any particular disease. Clinical presentation here, you're going to get these just these tiny little fine red dilated vessels in the skin. And again, definitely take a look at some of the images of that. It'll, it'll clear it up. Treatment. You don't really need to treat these, uh, but you can do sclerotherapy or laser therapy to get rid of them. Cherry angioma is next. This is a benign tumor, which is the involves the little tiny capillaries of the dermis. And a bunch of them get together and grow and form this little cherry spot on the skin. Again, looking at an image will cl clear this up. You've probably seen them a million times. They increase with age. So I think what I was reading said something like almost everyone over 30 has at least one. And as you get older, they continue to uh, multiply. So definitely take a look at the images for that. But it's really just a benign capillary tumor where they the, those little capillaries grow a little out of control. Clinical presentation, you get this red cherry papule on the skin. It's very obvious once you know what you're looking for. Treatments, none. Again, doesn't really matter. It's completely benign. There's no reason to do anything. If it's unsightly, you can use electrocautery, although that may cause some scarring. That's where you use the um, electricity to burn the, the skin, and it gets rid of that. Uh, it'll get rid of the angioma, uh, but it may leave a scar. You can also do some laser removal, that sort of thing. Next, we're going to move on to our bolus. Um, section this is kind of gross i definitely take a look at these images as well um the first one is bolus pemphigoid and this is a chronic as well as these are going to be so the other one is pemphigus vulgaris these are both uh pretty nasty looking autoimmune issues of the skin okay so we know about um systemic autoimmune diseases right so like rheumatoid arthritis or um lupus and these kind of things these are specific to the skin these are systemic these are um antibody that attack the the skin in a specific way so it's a chronic autoimmune disease this bolus pemphigoid and there's no clear precipitating factor although they think genetics plays a role and i think there's a bunch of environmental factors which may trigger those genetics so certain drugs um certain traumas and other things uh chemotherapies certain things that may cause this to happen the big takeaway here, as far as I'm concerned, and again, our entire focus is on getting you to be a better test taker, be a better student, and pass the exam. 
this whole show, everything I've done here is not about you being a good clinician, although I hope someday you will be a great clinician. That's not what I'm doing here. There are lots of other people who do that. What I'm here to do is help you to pass your exams, become better students, become better test takers. So with that being said, when I look at a section like this, and it's bolus pemphigoid and pemphigus vulgaris in the same section, I realize that on the exam, what they're going to want is me to differentiate between these two things, right? That's going to be the hard part. That's going to be where everyone gets frustrated and they bring you down to, you know, you, you cross off to Langectasia and cherry angioma in the answer choices and you're like, sweet, those are gone. And you're left with bolus pemphigoid and pemphigus uh, vulgaris. And you're like, oh, I can't remember which one is which. This is so frustrating. I'm so annoyed that they would do this. And that's what the whole test comes down to, right, is these two choices. So as I present these two things to you, I'm going to present them in the from the standpoint that you need to be able to tell them apart. So I'm going to give you the differences between them as we go through. So bolus pemphigoid is, they're both, and pemphigus vulgaris, they're both chronic autoimmune issues, right? The difference is, is for starters, bolus pemphigoid is typically the patients are older than 60. So this is an elderly person issue. For pemphigus vulgaris, they're middle-aged patients. So it's an immediate break between the two. For bolus pemphigoid, you may get pruritus as a presenting symptom without any other symptoms. And then it, it becomes an urticarial rash, which can last for months. And then you can get these tense bulla. So remember what were bulla? They're large blisters greater than 10 millimeters. A vesicle is less than 10 millimeters, by the way. A blister, a fluid-filled blister greater than 10 millimeters is a bulla. These are tense bullas, right? So they're very, you, you, they're not floppy. They're filled up with fluid ready to burst, they look like. They're typically found in the groin, upper thighs, and on the flexor surfaces of the elbow, but they can be found anywhere, including the mouth. And what these will do is they will fill up with fluid, and then they'll rupture, and then they'll go into a remission, and then they'll get new ones, and they'll sort of come and go in these cycles. These also have a negative Nikoloski sign. If you remember, a Nikoloski sign is when you push on that blister, and the skin sort of shears off laterally. It sort of comes apart when you press on it. Well, in this case, they're going to be Nikoloski negative. So these are our ways of differentiating this. We have an older patient who comes in initially with itching and then breaks out into these tense bullas and they're Nikoloski negative. For labs and studies, you're going to biopsy it and then immunofluorescence for an IgG uh, will give you your diagnosis. Treatment here is topical steroids for minor outbreaks, oral steroids for a more severe case, and then you're going to want to manage them um, for other issues, so antibiotics for secondary infections and a fluid and electrolyte management for, uh, for if they have that broken down skin. It's going to be, again, almost like we talked about last week, this is almost like a burn situation, so you're going to have to manage their fluids and electrolytes in a severe case. Now, pemphigus vulgaris, again, an autoimmune disease, but in this case, it's the cell-to-cell -cell adhesion that's lost. So you get that, that shearing of the skin because the, the, essentially the, the cells don't stick together anymore. And just historically, before we knew how to treat this, so before we started giving people antibiotics and steroid therapy, this was a fatal disease. Now, with treatment, people do fairly well, but historically, people died from this. So this is a more severe, it's not, the, it's, it's, a, it's different obviously, but it's the more severe of the two conditions. 
So again, this is Pemphigus vulgaris is a middle-aged patient, and they initially present with painful lesions, typically on the mucosal surfaces, so think in the mouth, someone who's not eating, and then skin lesions erupt over several months. The easiest way to tell these apart here is these are flaccid bulla and easily ruptured. So these are not that tight, tense bulla that we found in bullus pemphigoid, but these are sort of flat, mushy, uh, loose, flaccid bulla. These will have a positive Nikoloski sign. So if you rub them, the skin will rupture and sort of separate laterally. And again, think about that cell-to-cell -cell adhesion is lost. So if you push on that blister, it will spread. And again, we're going to do a biopsy and immunofluorescence for IgG. Because it's an immune-mediated issue. The treatment is going to be very similar. We're going to do oral or IV steroids, though. This is Remember, this is a little bit more serious. So most of these patients are going to get admitted and may get IV steroids. Antibiotics for secondary infections and fluid and electrolyte management is going to be important as well. So I hope you understand how I go about thinking about separating these issues. Now, telangiectasias and... I guess we could do the same thing. Telangiectasias and cherry angioma, you could think about in the same way. How would you separate those two? Well, a cherry angioma isn't, doesn't go along with any disease process. It simply is a benign tumor. It isn't brought on by anything else. Telangiectasias can be part of a different disease cycle, right? So that would be a way to differentiate them. Telangiectasias are just those tiny little fine vessels, and a cherry angioma is more like a bright red spot on the skin. So I would, whenever I study, I go through and think about how I'm going to separate these things in my brain, how I'm going to understand the differences, how would they ask me a test question on them, that sort of thing, and how would they give me the clues to separate them. They're, they're going to have to give me something. You know, we talk about key terms, and again, it comes up here. They're going to have to give me some information to separate these apart. So when people talk about, I actually wrote an email today talking about key terms, and when people talk about, you know, they don't use key terms anymore. Well, how would you talk, how would you separate bullus pemphigoid and pemphigus vulgaris without using some of those key terms? Remember, our key terms here are, and I use the term key terms very loosely, our key terms here are older patient, younger patient, and tense versus flaccid bulla. That's pretty much it, right? Those should separate. And once you have a picture in your head of what they are, those two factors should really be enough for you to separate these two in your mind. All right, that being said, that's really going to wrap us up, up, wrap out for Derm today. I don't want to cover a whole lot. I'm trying to keep these even shorter than I used to so that they stand out in your, in your brain and we're covering less material on a day-to-day -day basis, but more, again, of that uh, techniques and the thought process behind how, behind how I work and how I do test taking and why I think it's so important. And that'll jump us right in to our study tip for, uh, for today, which is going to be really to understand and, and thoroughly understand that passing this exam, passing PA school, is all about study skills and test-taking skills and a way of approaching the knowledge. I find that people who are extremely smart can do terrible on exams. I find that people who are not that bright can do really well on exams. And everyone wonders how that is. And the answer is it has nothing to do with what people think it has to do with. It doesn't have anything to do with knowing the medical knowledge, knowing the medical information. It has to do with test-taking skills. I was actually talking with a doc today who I think is fantastic. 
Um, she does great work. She's incredibly intelligent, is a great surgeon. And I was explaining to her about my website and what I do here and, and the education process, but how I actually really enjoy more than the content is the study skills part, the test taking part, because I think that's what's really lacking out there. I think there's a lot of people who do, who can cover the material with you. Um, but it's the idea behind the, the test taking skills that's that's lacking and that's the key for me. And she was so excited when I started talking to her about this because this was her problem throughout school. She would do phenomenal. Uh, as she explained it, she'd go on her clinicals and everyone would love her and they'd offer her jobs and think that she was the best. And then she'd go take her uh, exam at the end and she'd vomit and her preceptors would, would, you know, would confront her and say, geez, what's going on here? What's the problem? It seems like you're doing so well and then nothing. And that would go on and on and on and on. And it was all because she didn't know how to take tests. She didn't know how to study. She didn't know how to get rid of the superfluous information. She didn't know how to separate the material into what mattered and what didn't. She was so focused on learning everything and then being so overwhelmed and so anxious that she struggled to sit down and take an exam when, honestly, she's brilliant. There's no reason it should have been hard. But no one ever taught her. She never knew how to do it. She just buckled down and worked harder. And that works to an extent, but it's not the only answer. We can certainly go ahead and make things like this so much so much easier for you. It's ridiculous. Um, but instead, people just keep banging their heads against the wall, working longer hours, um, reading more, doing more. And, and sometimes that's counterproductive. And that's what she found. In fact, she went as far as to tell me the story about her uh, oral boards and how she enjoyed that process and thought it was fun because she knew how to handle it. She knew what parts were important. She knew when the, the people proctoring the exam were just kind of bathing her and trying to get her to go down the wrong avenue and she could see it a mile away and she said she really just had a good time when she passed and in the same vein she saw other people she knew who were as smart or smarter than she was and she knew that they were great and they a few of them failed their oral boards because they got all nervous and tense and couldn't get through it and just struggled and struggled and that's what I see here so I just want to point out to you our study tip for today is just whether you use my material whether you don't use my material whether you you know, just listen to these podcasts for the medical content or you do pick up on the philosophies behind what I do here. Find somebody, find a method, find some new ways to study practice. Whether you're taking your panry or you're in first year of PAA school, take, take a minute and research some stuff on how to study, what to do, watch some videos, do something uh, to get better. Don't just buckle down and work harder and don't necessarily ask your classmates what they're doing i mean you can but take that with a grain of salt because honestly they don't know what they're doing either most people got to where they are because they're smart and hard work got them there but it's hard to keep that up over the long term it's much easier if you become better at what you do and what you do is study and take tests so if you can become better at that it's it just becomes infinitely easier if you're looking for help in that area uh, i encourage you this month in particular uh, i've been doing the physician assistant exam scholars newsletter now for over a year and it's been a load of fun where I cover a lot more on and a lot more in depth on study skills and test taking skills and how to approach things and, and what to do to avoid that anxious nervousness and to blow that out of the water and make it super easy for you to calmly walk in and take your exams and this month in particular this is going to be what July uh, more in June now so the July issue which I'm, I'm working on right now is all about how to 
get the most out of your lectures, out of the time you spend studying and listening to this information. And I just feel like you spend so much time wasted in school. I used to hate it sitting in those classes. And I would talk with my friends and I would screw around and I would take some notes. Uh, but it was an incredible waste of time for me. It wasn't the best use of my time. I've since discovered so many ways that you can improve on what I was doing. And I think what most people are doing, just jotting down notes and highlighting things and half paying attention and half not. Uh, I, th I've just come across so much material on how to improve that time and make it so much better and not a drowsy, sleepy waste of time. If you've got bad teachers, if you've got lecturers who stink, if you have trouble staying awake and focusing, uh, all those things I'm going to cover in this month's issue, in the July issue of the Physician Assistant Exam Scholars Newsletter. So if that's something that interests you, definitely go check that out over on the website, uh, www.physicianassistantexamreview.com. I mean, actually, I don't think you can find it there. I think you have to sign up for the email list first um, so you can get a taste of everything that I do. Um, I, sort of I sort of have it set up that way. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Um, so our study tip for today was definitely take some time, learn a little bit more about how you learn and the ways to do that. Um, so let's answer our priming questions here and see if you can pick them up during our talk today. Name for, name for a fluid-filled blister greater than 10 millimeters. I'm sorry, less than 10 millimeters. A fluid-filled blister less than 10 millimeters is called a vesicle. Name for a fluid-filled blister greater than 10 millimeters. Name for a fluid-filled blister greater than 10 millimeters. That's a bolus. What is Nikoloski's sign? That was where we press on the skin and the skin separates. I think last week we talked about taking a pencil eraser and putting it on the skin and twisting it and the skin would come off. It's that shearing force which separates the skin. And that's another way we can separate uh, pemphigus vulgaris and bolus pemphigoid. Bem bolus pemphigoid was Nikoloski negative. Pemphigus vulgaris was Nikoloski positive. Stevens-Johnson syndrome affects what percentage of the skin? That's all the way from last week. We didn't talk about it all this time. That was 10%. 10% of the skin. 10% of the skin is affected by Stevens-Johnson syndrome. If, if it's greater than 30%, remember it was toxic epidermal necrolysis. And in between was an overlap. 10 to 30 was an overlap. So anyway, sorry, I got this new soundboard and I'm not quite comfortable with it yet. Um, that'll wrap us up for this week. Again, thank you so much for showing up today. It's really been so much fun to spend more and more time on the show uh, on all the stuff I've been doing here and the great feedback I've been getting. All the emails that come in saying, uh, telling me how, <laughs> either how good or how poorly you did on your exam also. I truly enjoy those. So please keep them coming in. It's really been a ton of fun. Anybody taking their exam this week, good luck to you. And I'd love to hear how you make out. Take care.